Good afternoon, Golden Bear fans, and welcome to another jam-packed episode of the CSP Bears podcast. I'm your host, Tanner Peterson, and I'm excited that you decided to tune in with me for today's episode. Last week, I sat down with a good friend of the podcast, an assistant athletics director of facilities, and assistant softball coach, Tommy Team Money Mauer. I had tons of fun hearing about Tommy's stories as a kid in St. Paul, hearing his journey to CSP, as well as his life as an elite basketball referee. I highly suggest you give that episode a go. And when you're looking for that episode, the CSP Bears podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. So please go download, subscribe, follow, or whatever you have to do to make sure you're fill of Golden Bear Athletics. And here at the CSP Bears podcast, we like to consider us a podcast by and for the people of Concordia. So we want you, the listener, to get involved. Please tweet at CSP Bears, and, and send us your questions or even guest ideas, and we'll feature them on the podcast. We have been at this for just over a month, and we want to hear back your feedback. Tweet us and let us know your questions, guest ideas, and how you're liking the podcast. We want to tell the story of Concordia Athletics and everyone that, make, and everyone that makes it so special. This week, I'm excited to bring you not only a CSP alumni, but also someone who is still remains an intricate part of Concordia's campus and the success that students have. I'm very excited to welcome Adrian Perryman. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. What up? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Adrian was a defensive back on the football team, as well as a sprinter on the track and field team during his time here at CSP. The St. Paul Central High School graduate now works in, as the assistant director of academic advising and helps students in pursuit of their degree. But Adrian, I want to start way back when, when you were a student at... Central High School. What yes. was that like, and what was your time in St. Paul like? It was fun, yeah. My claim to fame is I've gone to elementary, junior, high, high school, college, and grad school on the same street, so I don't, <laughs> I don't leave I don't leave St. Paul much. But yeah, Central, Central's great, great. Uh, living close by and meeting a lot of ple- great people. Central is a very diverse school by every definition of the word, racially, socioeconomically, all sorts of different things. They really get to meet a lot of people and have a lot of great experiences um, close by. It's not uh, not always the, a hotbed for athletics, but we have a good, strong lineage of alumni and Winfields and other folks over the years, but mm-hmm. it's a great experience. Yeah, for sure. So what was it like, kind of, go- like you said, you went to elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. What's that like, all, like you said, on the same street? Yeah, some people make fun of me for it, but it was, <laughs> it was a great advantage, being a sort of ambassador to the city uh, for my new teammates who are from Florida and Texas and other places, a lot of times I could say, oh, let's go over here and uh, find this place, and they had no idea it was around. But being able to have that, there's still, I lived on campus, so there was still a little bit of, even though I literally lived three blocks away, a little <laughs> bit of homesick experience, just being away from home and mm-hmm. new experiences and whatnot. But it was it was great to be able to enjoy being away from campus on my dorm, in my dorm, away from my mom and everything, but still have the ability to go back and walk down the street for Thanksgiving and not have to fly across the country. For sure. So how has this area, like the Concordia area, the Central High School area, how has it changed since you started going to school there? Uh, it still seems... I, it's hard to notice because, yeah, I've, I've been here seeing a change gradually. I did, after I graduated from Concordia, I went back to Central for a year to work with uh, College Possible, then Admission Possible, after school college access program, and I was walking around the halls at Central like, oh, these kids, these are, they're vulgar, they're saying all sorts of stuff, they're they're bad, and then I was thinking, 
I, I think I did the exact same thing when I was a student. It was just yeah. being away from it. But being in St. Paul, seeing all the changes, I'm sure if I went in the time machine, I could see all the differences. But it's just changing gradually over the years with new buildings popping up, Concordia's construction changing, and, and a lot of different things coming to St. Paul. But um, it's, yeah, all been good. Do you have any memories that really stick out to you from being in this area for so long? Yeah, the my my first memory of uh, actually being around Concordia, my cousin attended Concordia in the early 90s, Neil Perryman. He played uh, baseball. He met his wife, uh, Liz Golnitz, now Liz Perryman. She coached volleyball for a little while. They're both athletes here, so me and my wife actually followed their path mm. on a similar uh, journey, but... Um, he got married in the chapel, and I was in there. Uh, I have photos from there. And then also when we were kids, we would ride our bikes around, and we actually would take our bikes into what is now, I know, as the Meyer Hall Tunnel and, dry, and ride our bikes through there and go up to the library and, and print off. I think at the time it was either like South Park or, or wrestling images <laughs> or something like that. And, and so the, the students you see around that people yell at for using the computers, that was that was me back in the day. That was you? Yeah. A little but, troublemaker. But. Yeah, yeah, it was just it was fun. A lot of a lot of things nearby. Yeah, good times as a kid. Good stuff. So I stated earlier, you played football and competed on the track and field team. Uh, kind of talk about what was that like? Did you prefer one sport over the other? Or? Based on my based on what I finished with, it's obvious I had a preference for track because I did I did two years of football. I was recruited by uh, coach coach. Uh, Courier, uh, who's who's back now, of course. His his last year was my freshman year. He yeah, he came to Central, talked to my coach, uh, brought me on a visit. I didn't really work with the admissions office much. It was mainly with uh, Coach Courier, and it was a great experience um, being recruited in that process. I had some injuries with track in my junior senior year in high school, so I didn't get as much attention. So I came from Concordia just for football, but I really loved track, and I think it was Charles Martin at the time. Uh, was a senior on the track team, uh, said, oh, we should check it out and walk on. And so I did that. I met with, met with Coach McConaughey at the time and, and did both sports. And so it was interesting having to do both because at the time we didn't have Seafoam Stadium. Uh, it was just the Gangelhof, and we had to basically share that space with for like indoor track for the winter. It was ourselves, basketball, uh, maybe some other sports. We basically had to rotate sessions, so either I practice at like four, six, or eight. So if I had track practice at eight o'clock at night sometimes, and then I had to wake up for uh, spring ball for like lifting in the winter at like five, five in the morning. So I was working out till 10 p.m., trying to go to sleep with all the adrenaline pumping. No, I had to wake up uh, very soon after that uh, for track practice. So the, so, the, so the kids these days, they got it, they got it good. They didn't have to deal with that. <laughs> but it was hard work. Uh, made made a lot of great friends on the team that I still connect with the the best two of the guys in my wedding party were football teammates of mine so a lot of a lot of good times for sure i bet so and competing in two sports at one time i mean you don't really see that now but it sounds like you were you did it all right yeah it's 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 yeah it's interesting because well, so my freshman year i walked on for track i had a football scholarship and so it was kind of like oh whoever's paying you controls thing but my sophomore year i got a track scholarship so the McConaughey would always say, "Oh, we're we're paying you too, so you gotta so you gotta come to our practices <laughs> and things like that." And so, it's uh, I always enjoyed the D two level. It's a high level of competition, but it's not as sometimes scary as the D one programs. Um, so I I was able to yeah I, I missed some things in both areas, but was still able to compete. I think a lot of times some of the coaches understand the the benefit of that. 
Uh, some don't see that, and they kind of pigeonhole their their students. But uh, the reason the reason I was good on the football field because I had speed, and the reason I had speed was because of track. So letting letting them both live uh, worked out well. For sure, for sure. Do you have any memories that stick out to you in your time in football or in track? Uh, track was always fun because the I always I my brother. All, my whole family played baseball and always make fun of them because, oh, baseball's boring and things like that. But then in hindsight, I realized in track I would travel to wherever and compete for yeah. 60 seconds and then and then uh, <laughs> do whatever else. So we would always, me and my teammates, whenever we went to, uh, one thing, we in my f- first few years we didn't, we weren't big enough of a team to get a, a charter bus. So it was traveling in the 16-passenger vans, which if anyone's traveled in, it's impossible to get comfortable in. You can't oh, lie yeah. down. Oh, it's, yeah. It's be better in a car even, but... Uh, so we would take the van to places, and I think the furthest place we went was to Missouri to, for one of the relays events. So that was at Mizzou, so that was, oh, that's a, cool. it was a long trip, but it was nice uh, after I ran my 100-meter prelim or something. I yeah. had three hours to kill, so we could just walk around campus and see how everything was and explore. So that was a nice uh, opportunity for a little bit of travel um, with with the teammates. But again, yeah, it's a time spent at the, the camp with your teammates and, and also, yeah, a good level of competition. My freshman year, we got uh, second place in outdoor conference, which I believe is the highest Concordia's ever done for, oh, for really? track and field. Um, we just had a, a great group of guys at all levels, uh, fantastic uh, sprinters, distance runners, throwers, and all that. But uh, we're Concordia track is working to get back there, but it's for a sure. very difficult, difficult conference. I've heard a uh, story that you were quite the you had quite the uh, flash on special teams during your football career. Yeah, that Don't was mention that. Yeah, that was um, in uh, I'd, my if I wouldn't if I wouldn't have uh, retired, I think I would have been able to get some stats in there. But yeah, kick returning was always my my go to thing. I couldn't do punting. I had, for some reason the angle of the kick it didn't work out well. But on uh, the punt team, uh, I was the the bullet kickoff team. I was sort of the the last line of defense, whatever, the person who stays back in case they break it, and then I hawk them and chase them down and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But we did have a, my one my one memorable play is we had a, a fake punt that this was under, uh, this was under, under Maurer uh, after Courier left. Uh, we did a fake punt. The punter, Miles Coffin, was able to launch the ball, throw it with his hand to make it appear like it was a punt, but he threw it as a high enough arc that everybody saw that thought it was a punt, and I would sprint down, and I would run and jump up and catch it. And we did this one time. I think it was at, I think it was at Wayne State. I just remember being in the middle of nowhere. I think it was. I think it was Wayne State. <laughs> Sounds uh, and, right. And, yeah. So I jumped up and I caught the ball, and I was excited as I was a sophomore. This might have been one of my first games really playing because I redshirted my freshman year, and I was so excited. I forgot to run, so I just kind of stopped there, and then they all tackled me. So we got the first down, but then they stopped us, and we didn't score after that. But. Uh, that was my that was my one claim to fame, I think, in Concordia football. I had I have some central stuff, but I don't want to sound like Uncle Rico and go back <laughs> all my, my high school accomplishments. But no, your mustache isn't quite as good as Uncle Rico's. True, but, true. But Still it's time. close. It's close. So uh, you were the first NSIC or male in NSIC history to three peat in the fifty five meter dash. Yes. Kind of reflect on that. Did you know that? I had the I had I did I took some time to to Google myself and, and look through some things. And it was, yeah, my my freshman year, the indoor track conference uh, meet was set up where, like, the heats, like, it was, something was weird where it wasn't the fastest times. It was the first f- two finishers or something like that. So technically, 
I should have been in the finals my freshman year, uh, but some sort of rule messed me up there, and they changed that rule my sophomore year, and then I and then I won. It wasn't because of the rule, but I was a little faster and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I won it my my sophomore year, and uh, I was always very quick. So I always won the 60 and 55, some of those shorter races. Uh, did decently in the 200 and the 100, but those shorter bursts of speed, the power sprinters um, were, were, my, were my go-to ones. But yeah, it was very fun being able to compete at a as a sophomore a lot of times in mm-hmm. athletics. You have to wait your chance to move up the ranks, but track always allowed the, me to give back yeah. right, right from the get-go. Yeah. Sweet. So, I mean, you said there, your freshman year, there were some rules there. Yeah. Are you saying you'd go four peat if you could have? Potentially, potentially, I would have. I would have made it into the finals, and I would have at least potentially gotten in the top three. But that was that was a different time. Uh, long, long-haired Adrian was <laughs> many years ago. You're also an assistant on the track coach for, I believe, five years, right? Yeah, yeah. Can I talk about what that experience was like, and I don't know how how did that shape you? Yeah, when I when I got the job at Concordia in the admissions office. I think one of the first few people to call me was um, uh, was Jared Sampson. He was the current coach at the time, and he said, I was excited. Oh, you can help recruit some guys and come out and coach. And like, I never really thought about coaching, but I do have a decent amount of experience and can help out. Blocks was my my go to skill set. I think I always get out of there. And which uh, little story I learned, I learned my block uh, technique from. Uh, the current mayor of St. Paul, Melvin Carter, who was, really? I went to, he was older than me, but he came back and helped out coach at my high school. He went to the same high school, so he came back and he was always said, oh, I've never, never, never lost out the blocks. And I was the same way, just getting out the blocks, but it didn't always transition to, to full speed in the 100 or so. But blocks were my thing. So I was able to help out and coach uh, some of the young athletes. And it's, I enjoyed it because, yeah, track and field doesn't always have the, um, a lot of coaches when there's a lot of skills needed. You need your blocks, you need your conditioning, you need throwing, you need pole vault, you need all sorts of things. So being able to help out, being nearby, which wouldn't necessarily have been possible if I was working elsewhere. I couldn't just leave my job at 3 mm-hmm. o'clock and, and come and coach. But I was able to uh, connect with a lot of students and provide them with various techniques to help them out and try and make them better. For sure. Yeah. Uh, do you want to speak a little bit more about your relationship with Mary Melvin Carter? Yeah, the, the I've known I've known everyone. Everyone in St. Paul has a uh, a Carter story and and a, and a Mauer story. Somehow connected to those two <laughs> those two families, I think would be the the main families of St. Paul. But yeah, I went to I ran I've been running track since fourth grade or so at a few local AAU or different ones. And and Melvin's got multiple siblings. His youngest sister is a year older than me, so we were closer at Central and ran track together. So I've Worked with him for various things. His family's very involved in the community and uh, with my DJ stuff, helping out with their community events and whatnot. Uh, and then, yeah, he's he was a yeah, city councilor, of course. I helped him somewhat with campaign stuff. And then when he won the uh, the mayor election, I DJed his inaugural ball at uh, down at the Union Depot okay. uh, in January. That this year, yeah, I was yeah coming up on a year now. Uh, but yeah, he's just yeah. Uh, I was very the second he. It was always thought that oh he's he's obviously gonna be mayor if you Google him and see his he's been on the news in the past when he was in junior high giving political level speeches as as a kid he's just very uh, professional and knows what he's talking about and groomed for this sort of thing so the second he mentioned he was gonna be mayor it's like oh it's a shoe in that he's gonna win this and there was stuff going on with the election this year that made me question some things but yeah he obviously won the landslide and 
and I see him around, and it's always nice to chat with him and see what he's doing in the community. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. Really cool. So uh, people listening might not realize it, but your first position on campus was in a diff- department that's different from where you are now. Yeah. Do you want to talk to kind of your journey from being a college kid at Concordia to then being a faculty member here? Yeah, I I, I didn't uh, – I never had a – well, when I was a kid, my dream job was like a firefighter or a veterinarian. Of course. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to – Pets to die, so I'm not going to be a veterinarian. And yep. then the firefighter thing, I don't know when that fell through. I don't know, but that changed. So I yeah. uh, never really had a dream goal. I came into Concordia thinking athletic training, like I was an athlete, I could do this stuff. And then I realized quickly I liked being an athlete, didn't necessarily like working for athletes or with them and whatnot. Um, I think uh, I mean, maybe it was because Eric Lamont was my advisor my freshman year. That was, maybe that's why I changed. <laughs> but eventually I took an intercultural communication course with Bosma DeVries. I really love that, fell in love with that area. Uh, so that's what I focus on. But even then, there's no specific path from communication studies to any professional field. So I didn't really know. But um, my senior year, I was still kind of undecided. I was going to graduate in a few months. Um, and then college possible, uh, admission possible at the time was in the tunnel, tabling, looking for people. And I talked to them. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going I'm to check this out. And just thinking about it more, I thought about, oh, I'm about to graduate. Uh, I went to high school with a lot of great students. A very few of them are graduating now, or uh, they were just on the five-year path. But other students who didn't go to, didn't get into college, how their lives are just drastically different. Not that they're completely horrible, just the quality of life is a little bit different. And I realized what a difference college uh, made for me and the people around me. So I thought, oh, if I can get into this realm somehow. So I started there, and then uh, eventually. Uh, what was it? I, I made a post on Facebook after I was done with College Possible. Like, I'm looking for a job. What do you got out there, world? And then um, Brianna Eicheldinger, who now who still works in the admissions office. Um, I don't know if they are. Not, not yet. The current girlfriend of Matt Eicheldinger, my teammate on the track team, or friends on Facebook, said, oh, we're hiring admissions. You should check it out. So again, networking, your teammates, wives, meet them, all mm-hmm. sorts of different things. So <laughs> she said the job. I applied for it, applied for it, and it worked out, and I started working there, and then um, yeah, I was able to help out and recruit students in high school and make those connections, make college possible for various students, and um, did that for five or six years, maybe seven years, and then just there was an opening, opened up in advising, and I really like working with the students, but when, in admissions, you kind of, you develop a strong relationship in, with them in high school, but then they kind of show up, and then they kind of forget about you. There's been various times I talk with my co- my coworkers in admissions, like, like, you'll see them walking down the hall like, oh, I know you. We just met for 30 minutes. I met your family, this sort of stuff. And then they just walk right by you, and they forget about you because there was so much going on or they were recruited by 15 different schools and whatnot. But in, in advising, you can really uh, – because, yeah, Concordia does a great job of getting students in the school, but there's a lot of work that we can do on helping them graduate. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking, I enjoy doing that now, making those connections to their goals and making sure they're on track so they can maybe repeat that cycle and help someone else out in, in their collegiate career. For sure. Would you say building those connections is the favorite part of your job? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, because you, um, yeah, the the more connections makes you better in advising. So, yeah, the more you know with faculty members about the major, different opportunities, study abroad, policies with financial aid, knowing them who to connect with, because, uh, yeah, I've, uh, mentoring is a big thing uh, for me, but the different levels of, yeah, whether you're telling someone how to do something, showing them how to do it, doing it for them, or eventually training them how to do it for themselves and making themselves sufficient is the ultimate goal. 
Uh, so yeah, being able to connect them with people and get them the proper knowledge so they can so you can semi put yourself out of a job and make them self sufficient one day is the goal. Pretty cool. Very cool. Really like that. So uh, there's a rumor on campus that you are a local DJ. Can you We're confirm or deny? True. If you guys you guys didn't come to the homecoming dance, <laughs> I guess not. No, man. They, uh, yeah, so I I was always into music. My dad was always playing records and things and, and whatnot, so I was always a fan of that. And the, the Internet um, made me possible because, yeah, I was think Napster was big when I was in high school and those sort of things. I was able to accumulate a large amount of music uh, illegally, technically. I think one time I got an email from Dr. Dre saying I got kicked off Napster because I downloaded his song, so I felt special <laughs> for that reason. But I had a large collection of music, so I'd always make uh, pre-game mixes for our football team and play them on a boombox at Central in the, um, in the locker room and whatnot, and that built up, and then I got some hand-me-down equipment from my brother who got it from our cousin, some turntables and different things, and then my freshman year at Concordia, I remember one of my teammates from high school who was a senior then said, oh, my, my parents out of town, I want to throw a house party, can you DJ it? I'm like, sure, I think so, we just gotta, <laughs> we gotta go rent some speakers and do some different stuff, so I started doing that and, and playing around and mastering the technique and saving up to buy different equipment, and then I think my, I do dorm parties in the now, now demolished, uh, uh, dormitories that I lived in that are where Holst Hall are now. So I had Club 219 in my in my dorm um, <laughs> in, in Minnesota and Centennial. And so, yeah, I was starting, started practicing my craft, and then we eventually did, like, Concordia dances. We had a pajama jammy jam, which uh, for those who are here for historically will have varying uh, opinions of the event. It was uh, a great dance, a lot of people. Uh, it ended with a lot of police sirens, but that's <laughs> – we can uh, – that's another story, but ask around. But yeah, that. But that from there, DJing on campus, somebody from a promoter from a downtown nightclub saw me there, and like, oh, would you be interested in DJing in downtown Minneapolis? I'm like, sure. Like, so I started getting connected there, DJing more things, and meeting more people. And I eventually, after years and years of DJing downtown, a lot of the places I DJed have, have closed down or gone out of business and whatnot. And realizing that I don't, I don't want to DJ till 2 a.m. and go to work at 8 a.m. So I moved into the the wedding field and. High school dances and private events. I have an event for Target tomorrow. I'm doing a Halloween dance on Saturday, all sorts of different things. So it's it's fun to, I was always told to have sort of two things. One you do, one career you do with your mind, and one thing you do like with your hands creatively. Uh, both DJ and, and academic advising are sort of in both areas, but it's a good creative outlet for me with music and lighting and design and different things I can do there. That's really cool. Really cool. So do you have any, I mean, you've got to have some good stories from DJing. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the the nightlife was always interesting. Um, the, in downtown Minneapolis, there's a decent amount of athletes and things that would be down there. I've uh, seen nightclubs. Uh, I've seen Adrian Pe- Peterson in his prime in downtown Minneapolis with, with women who may or may not have been his wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think Michael Bennett was freq- frequented the, the nightlife establishments and they would always, they'd always wear suits. Like nobody was wearing like that dressed up, but they would come, always come in suits. I don't know why the football players, if that was their choice, but uh, yeah, that was just, just seeing those sort of things. Oh, another one. Um, I DJed a, a dance marathon, uh, for, uh, dance your heart out was, was, uh, 
charity for families affected by AIDS and HIV. So they had a like a 12-hour dance marathon in the Mall of America. So I was in the rotunda DJing uh, for the full time, and then I was like, they had a green room down in the bottom. So I they had other celebrities who would show up um, for that. But then I went down to the basement. My wife was with me, or girlfriend at the time was with me, and a couple of friends. And we went down to the green room, and we were in there. And then they looked. Uh, uh, there was a guy across the room. I didn't see who it was. And I looked at my wife, and she was just frozen, freaking out. She was. She grew up a huge baseball fan and things like that. And I look over. Oh, that's, that's Paul Molitor. And so I've I've uh, I've seen a good amount of famous people, and I haven't really been starstruck. I kind of get happy and excited and very talkative, so I just go into, like, oh, it's Paul Molitor, and talk about, oh, St. Paul, I played at Jimmy Lee, and all sorts of different things and whatnot, and my wife, again, is, so my wife's a huge fan, and she's just frozen, just staring at the ground and can't <laughs> say anything, but he was cool and chatted up, and we talked about, yeah, the Winfields and all sorts of different things, um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's always nice to be able to get out and have fun and get paid for stuff to, that you enjoy doing and having a nice side hustle if you will yeah there's not a lot of people that have like a a side hustle like you said or something yeah. they really enjoy doing on the side yeah but i know last february you volunteered at super bowl 52 yeah do you want to talk about that experience <laughs> yeah the when i remember when the announcement first came out from the super bowl that it was going to be here i was like i remember i think i posted something oh we've got two years i've got to save up five thousand dollars if i want to realistically be able to get into the super bowl mm-hmm. and i was like as time went on, like it's, and it sounds great at the time, but like a month went by, a year went by, I haven't saved anything. This isn't this five thousand dollars or whatever it was mm-hmm. to go to this isn't realistic. But then I think it was either one of the news stations or something posted something about that every year for the Super Bowl halftime show they get a bunch of what they told was volunteers. Eventually they told us they may pay us like a minimum wage for our time, but to help out with the halftime show. So you do a bunch of rehearsals. You they're the guys who are guys and women who are pushing out the sets and connecting cords and doing all sorts of different things and I've heard it was a great experience so I signed up for that I think you had to probably I think it was first come first serve and you had to be relatively able-bodied and available and those sorts of different things so I signed up I I heard that I got it so there was a like a meeting uh, orientation sort of thing and there was this guy I think his name was Cap he was like a old former drill sergeant or something like that, military guy, and told all sorts of stories. And, like, if you think you're going to uh, meet Justin Timberlake, and uh, this, this is not for you. If you think you're going to stick around after the Super Bowl, this is not for you. But I was able to. So I, <laughs> uh, so we did all the, all the rehearsals. Actually, during one of the rehearsals in the stadium, I saw uh, Coach McKenzie, and I think one of his kids or something, they were, they were working because they, of course, have connections with everything, but uh, lunch was there doing something. I think he was working the one of the locker rooms, but he was down there um, because I we were in the stadium for multiple rehearsals, and we would do a full run through through the show. So that was a cool part too. We saw Justin Timberlake show the full thing multiple times. I was able to walk around here from different angles and all those things. But my position was I was in charge of plugging in like one cord from underneath the bleachers and plugging it into one of the rigs that the video panels or smoke machines or something so we did that multiple times and my job was great because I was in the stadium the whole time other people were like outside pushing stuff in but we were able to see everything but I I, I realized that after it's done I unplug this cord and then I hide underneath the bleachers or I, I go underneath the bleachers to pull this cord back so it's out of the way so the which then ended up being the what Patriot sideline on that side out of the way. But I was like, I wonder if I could just like not come out 
and wait for like 10 minutes and just pop up on the field or something like that and realize that wouldn't work. I'd have been tackled. Brady security would have heckled me. But <laughs> I, I, throughout the times, I walked around and saw that you could go out the back way and like into the rotunda, the circle around it and whatnot. So I thought about, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give this a try come the Super Bowl day. So I had to, <laughs> I, was wearing my, I was wearing my coat which you were supposed to take off. Uh, There's a few things. I had, to, I had to have my coat with me, otherwise I would have lost it and probably would have froze because it was very cold that day. Uh, and then I had to, uh, the security had stepped up on the game day. They say the Super Bowl is the most secure site in the world on the day of the Super Bowl because everybody's there. Um, but uh, going back to a connection I made, a, a guy I played football against in high school worked security at the, uh, at the stadium and I happened to see him the day of the game when we were lining up to go to our spot, and I was like, this is the one thing I need because I need to be able to get through the security door. I was like, hey, uh, can I text you at this time? Can you come meet me right here and just walk me through the security uh, through the security area? It's like, yeah, I could do that because I didn't, I didn't want to pressure him. I didn't want to lose his job or anything. But So afterwards, I, I crawled back, pulled my cord. After, after the show, it was amazing being on the field and taking selfies and seeing all the lights and different things go off, seeing all the rich people in the stands. And so it ended, I pulled the cord back and one other guy was thinking about doing with me, but he freaked out and, and, and cracked under the pressure and left because <laughs> they bust you in and then they bust you out uh, for the f- halftime team. But I did there and I just waited underneath and I was sweating because I was in my jacket and I was just nervous and people were walking around and like, I don't want to, this is so secure. I don't want them to think I'm doing something dangerous and this all sorts of different things. But I just waited there. Nobody, nobody, it was kind of like, yeah, nobody, uh, see something, say something didn't happen because people saw me and just didn't say anything. They assumed I was supposed to be there or whatnot. So uh, I eventually got, text the guy, he responded to me. I saw him like walk by and I thought I missed him, but I was able to sneak out and, and wave him down. And then I had my glasses on, my sunglasses. So they might've thought I was a celebrity or something. So he came with me, walked through the rotunda and, Walked past these, the two security guards. A lot of things was with the security guards I always make fun of because it was a bunch of people just tired for that week wearing the red jackets around town and they weren't going to jump on a boat or anything. They were just doing the job. So he nodded them. He let me, they let me walk through and then it was just like the, it opened up and I was just in the, by the concession stands and he said, well, you got to go up those stairs. Those are eyes. The security down there is going to see you. So I think I went and bought a drink so it made it look like I'd been there the whole time and Walked up into the bleachers and didn't even turn around to see anything because I was so nervous. But walked a few more paces up to the main rotunda and I felt I felt free. And then I actually knew one of my friends had won some tickets, so I texted them like, "Where are your seats? Are there any seats open behind you, by you?" And they said, "Yeah, come on up." It was all the way in the in the bleachers, the the nosebleed section. But I was able to watch the the second half of the Super Bowl uh, by by sneaking in. So that story's give it, unbelievable. Give it a, give it a try. It's unbelievable. Oh that's, my that's, gosh. It's cost-benefit analysis. The worst-case scenario could have been pretty bad, but it was a, it's, a, it's an interesting story to Would tell. Would you say it's worth it? Yeah, well, yeah, it was for me. Yeah, it was a, in hindsight. Yeah, it all worked out, but, yeah, it was a good good time. Man, so, I don't even know what to say after that. But it was also interesting just to, be, to be at a football game where I really didn't care about the outcome. I've had my various views on football, Kaepernick and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting to be there. And then the other thing, too, of the Super Bowl was it was just uh, it was basically a home game for the Eagles because the stadium was f- filled with Eagles fans. I think the Patriots were like, oh, we've done this many years. We're not, we're not going to fly to somebody cold, somewhere colder than here to watch this game and whatnot. But it was, yeah, it was Eagle chants the whole around the stadium. But, yeah, it was, 
It was a good time. I've all, I've heard this isn't the uh, first time you snuck into someplace. True. It's it's uh, timing and and luck played into it. I think the I think I went to the Kanye concert when he was here what, two years ago. I had some pretty good seats on towards the lower level, and then one of my friends was on the floor. And I was like, I don't want to be on the floor. A bunch of teens and jumping around, all sorts of different stuff. But then it started like, oh, that looks kind of fun down there. I kind of want to yeah. get down there. So he, I don't know if you knew one of the security guards or whatnot, but he either took off his wristband or got an extra one and then just walked up and slipped it to me. So I was able to slip it on and, and head on down for that. And then another, I don't know, divine intervention or something. Uh, my the When Beyonce was here a couple of years back at TCF Bank Stadium, the outdoor one, uh, it was actually the the day of my father's funeral. Um, I was planning on going after he passed, and uh, we did the funeral and I wiped the tears away and all the other stuff that came with that. I went down. I was planning on just sitting outside of TCF Bank Stadium just to listen to it because it's an outdoor stadium. I just mm-hmm. I am I'm a fan of Beyonce and whatnot, but I wasn't going to buy a ticket at that point. But I was I hopped on the light rail down to the stadium and I was walking around um, because we got there and the, there was a rain delay, so everyone had to leave the stadium. Um, to go to evacuate or whatever place, so that everybody left. Uh, and then I was walking around and saw one of my friends from high school. He was he was going to the concert with his girlfriend or his wife at the a wife. Um, and I was like, oh, I was like, hey, if you find some extra tickets on the ground, uh, send me a text. I'll be over there. And he's like, okay, we'll do. So I went to Caribou to get a drink, and then uh, they went to the show, and then uh, he sent me a text like, uh, come to gate one fifteen right now. I was like, I didn't ask any questions. I was, started sprinting over there and so he met me at the gate and all he did he's walked up to the security and said oh hey, hey these are their tickets so they were his tickets so what happened was everyone scanned to go into the concert the first time so they scanned them so they were real and whatnot but then when they had to leave everyone had to go out they can't scan the tickets twice so they had to basically just trust that these were the real tickets so he was able to just hand his own tickets that had already been scanned to me and my wife and then just the security guard trusted them and then they let us scan them, or didn't even scan them, just looked at them and we walked on through. I think I, I think I had an umbrella with me, but I had to throw that away to get into the concert, but it was, that was worth it. So I was able to sneak in that one, and um, I think that was, that, yeah, it shows you, every time you do it, it's like, this isn't too hard. Like, the security doesn't care that much. They're just, just act, fake it to make it. Uh, Jason Ron in Student Life has a story, too. Like, one time he was... Uh, think working at a concert or something he was captain to be wearing the same color as like the security or something so he just okay. picked up something to act like he was supposed to be there and walked right through it so it's all sorts of different ways you can fake it till you make it yeah next time you go to a concert uh text me or facebook message me or let me know true it's you sound like a good guy to know takes practice you gotta keep a straight face or you have to get or you gotta look in this look the security guards in the eye so they think you're don't look down don't look shy don't look scared they can sense the fear so Go in with confidence. It's like all the people who like sneak onto the floor during the final four. They put on a suit and just act like they're supposed to be there. So it's that mindset. Just go is in. You, is no. that your next goal? Your next plan? I want to get into an Olympics, Olympic event somehow, but we'll see. We'll see what we can do. Invite me on for that one. I'll, all right. I'd love to be there. Sounds good. So you're a St. Paul Central grad, and you've remained closely involved with the community. Yeah. The Philando Castillo tragedy means more to you than most who view it as just a news story and a wedge issue. I, I know we're not a political podcast, but we do want to get to know the guests that we have on a personal level. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's impacted you and how you've been active in the community as a result? Yeah. The, I've, I've, uh, so I went to Philando Castillo is a Central graduate. Uh, he's a couple years older than me. He's the same grade as my brother, so I, I knew him 
we weren't best friends or anything, but I, I knew him, and he had, uh, hung out with my brother, and I'd see him around. I had memories of him being kind of a, a class clown, fun guy around around the halls and whatnot. I think we were Facebook friends and would chat about various things throughout the years. Uh, but yeah, the prior to that, I, I had been involved in, in various, some things. I had been to some Black Lives Matter events and was uh, sort of paid attention to what was going on. But when that happened, I remember, I think I was in a Facebook group with him. Uh, I don't forgot what the topic was, but I remember I usually didn't didn't watch like the, the shooting videos, things like that. It just was too graphic. I don't like seeing that sort of stuff, and it's very depressing and draining. But I think it like it auto-played the Facebook Live that his girlfriend posted, and like, that guy looks familiar. Why does he look familiar? And so I actually watched it and realized this is Philando Castile and someone I know, and other people were talking about it. Um, so I, the, uh, after it, it happened, um, of, of course, plenty of people from Central were talking about it. What do we do about this? What can we do? And one of our other classmates, um, uh, Carla, she contacted a few of us who she saw were vocal about, oh, let's do something, let's get together. Uh, um, and so we eventually, down the line, spoke with the, the principal, Ms. McBee, at Central and, and put a few other pieces together and decided to do a, a, an annual outdoor event fundraiser for a scholarship in his name. So the event is uh, end of August each year, always the, the Sunday right before the state fair starts nearby Concordia over at Dunning in the parking lot. And so we have, uh, we've raised over $100,000. I think we're close to almost 140000 now wow. um, in, in just two years uh, since, since the passing uh, to put the scholarship together for a scholarship in his name at Central. Uh, working to grow that, and so it's, we're trying to make it a, a community event. Of course, it's we call it Central Honors Philando, but it's not just for Central people. We're trying to make it a a not a not as big as Grand Old Day, but just a, a event for people to come together to connect with their community, have fun. We always have different community tables, different resources, and also to honor the the life of a guy that we all knew and and wish was still around. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So as I said earlier, you grew up in this area. You were a student athlete here at CSP. You met your wife here at Concordia. True. And now you work with the students. Yeah. What does this community and this campus mean to you? It means a lot. It, the, the the reason I've stuck around so long is, yeah, I really enjoy. There, are, I could I could vent about various things that I would like to change, as everyone could. But uh, I I I was definitely supported. Um, Dr. Marilyn Reinick, Without her, I wouldn't have graduated. Just various things she was able to help me with. Dr. Chapman over the years. Uh, the connections I've made, and I realize it's it's a gem within within St. Paul. There's the Twin Cities has the what second most college students per capita after like Boston or something like that. So there's a lot of college options, but Concordia has a lot of things that other schools, even down the street, aren't able to offer. Whether it's D2 athletics or different majors or different things, so being able to be here for the students is is the reason I stick around. Because yeah, I know sometimes if I wasn't here, someone might not be able to get this resource or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a great it's a great gem nearby, and again, it's nice because I am able to relate with the community and connect Concordia outwardly, and connect people to Concordia as well in various roles. With yeah, I'm on the St. Paul Planning Commission and the Union Park District Council, which are uh, governmental type entities. To to because yeah, the Union Park District Council was on campus yesterday. Uh, getting some information about like Hamlin Avenue bridge construction, connecting the students to that so they can have a say in sort of the, what's happening within the community, uh, which doesn't often happen for, for college students, but it's uh, yeah, it's great. It's great life I've had within the, the walls of, of St. Paul. That's good to hear. Yeah. 
Hey, well, thanks for coming on. That's all I've got for yeah, you. Buddy. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is awesome. Yeah. Rounding out the rest of this week in Golden Bear Athletics, Friday the soccer team and volleyball team are on the road. The soccer team looks to finish their regular season strong this weekend, and that begins with a road down match down south in Wayne State in Wayne, Nebraska. That starts at 3 o'clock. The volleyball team hits the road after recently recently being named number one overall in the coaches' poll earlier this week. They travel to Marshall, Minnesota to match up with the 12th-ranked Mustangs of SMSU. That starts at 6 o'clock. Saturday is the final home game for the Golden Bears as they honor seniors on the roster this year. The team looks to take down Augustana, and that kicks off at noon. And Saturday, the volleyball team is also in action, and they continue their weekend road stretch with a match against the Cougars of Sioux Falls. That begins at 4. Sunday, the women's soccer team honors their eight seniors as they play their final match of the regular season. They play host the Vikings of Augustana, and that begins at 1. The golf teams have wrapped up the fall portion of their season, and they head in the winter months, but will be back at it for the spring championship season. I would like to give a quick shout-out to CSP Athletes of the Week and senior setter Elmo from the volleyball roster and junior defensive lineman Jackson Dobbs. Elmo is averaging 3.2 assists per set, which leads all of Division II. The senior had 62 assists and 9 digs against St. Cloud last Friday and 52 assists and 12 digs against UMD last week. Dobbs played out of his mind last week, recording 4 sacks and 4.5 tackles for loss. His 4 sacks was the third most in a D2 game in 2018. He also recorded 9 tackles and now ranks 4th in the NSIC in sacks with 6.5. That's all I've got for you guys this week. Thanks for tuning in, and best luck to all the Golden Bears in action this weekend. See ya!